Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. fans, welcome to the Parasol Podcast on a Thursday. We're crawling towards the end of the week, another USC football game. It's time a road contest against the Arizona State Sun Devils. And as always, we love to talk with Keely, your follow on Twitter at Keely is my name or follow all of her work on uscfootball.com. But we're going to add a little special guest. I think we had Bruce Feldman on a couple weeks ago during the bye week. We've had people asking for this, Keely. Well, anyway, welcome in, Keely. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. I'm excited for today's episode, if you can tell. I'm excited, too. And I'm I excited. Don't, I'm not even sure how to do the introduction, but <laughs> this is like the old time's sake. We have Dan Weber. Ta-da! Dan is back on the pod. This is the Dan Pod. We would always call it the Dan Pod. And Dan is back calling from the Cincinnati, northern Kentucky area. Dan, how you doing, sir? Doing great. Doing great. Although... Uh, it's way dark here already, so uh, unfortunately, I don't know that I've ever done a podcast in the dark. Now that I think about it, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, it's so like this is a little bit of an adjustment. We're doing yeah. this at like we're like four fifteen p.m. Pacific, but you are on Eastern time. And uh, oh man, I hate the dark when it's getting dark early. Like I'm doing my mm-hmm. early workouts, and they're gonna we're gonna like put the clocks ahead. We're gonna be in in Tempe this weekend. And Arizona will be on the same time zone as California, but when we fly home, it will be on a different time zone. Wow. So after last road trip where we were in Notre Dame, where you were like at the game and it's the Eastern time zone, then you drive yeah. back to Chicago. So we've had some time zone travel issues with uh, our our road games lately, Dan. Yeah, and then you're in Indiana. It doesn't change time, uh, but then uh, Northwest Indiana doesn't consider itself part of Indiana, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, just, <laughs> uh, it's kind of a mess. and. Uh, one big difference I've, uh, that I, it, it hit me again when I moved back is uh, in Cincinnati, you're on the same time zone as the eastern coast. So, you know, New York and Maine and Florida, and then you come all the way out here to the Midwest, and I'm still on eastern time. So the good news was we could play softball till you know, 9 o'clock at night because it, it stayed, you know, light dark, uh, longer uh, on the far western end. And then you would get to – when I was in California, you realize the Pacific time zone is very narrow. So if you're in L.A., it gets dark a lot sooner uh, because, you you know, that, that time zone is so narrow. Uh, so I had no idea because it's, you know, it's sunny and bright and all that, and then all of a sudden it's dark, and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, the fact that, but, like uh, – you know, know. Much different time zone. The, the, the eastern time zone is much, uh, much deeper uh, you know, than the, uh, than the Pacific and, and it, it takes some getting used to. Yeah. I mean, if you look Bangor, Maine and Cincinnati having the same time zone, I mean, those are pretty far apart. Like there's a, yes. there's a long, that's like, yeah. you're letting a, you know, you're, you're the, the bouncer at the club, Keela, you're letting a lot of different people in. Like there's just like, there's a whole big, <laughs> there's a wide range there on the, sure. on the West coast. It's pretty limited. We're keeping it, we're keeping it tight. You better, you know, collared shirt and, uh, Nice shoes you got to get in there. Um, all right. I don't know. We got off the rails already. <laughs> it's a classic damn fun. Yeah, love that's it. perfect. I love it. Um, so yeah. if, you, if you have any comments or questions for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can also call or text us at 424-254-9141. If you are on the Apple Podcasting app, we do appreciate a five-star review. 
that's that always really helps grow the show. And we're giving away Trader Joe's gift cards, 50 bucks to Trader Joe's to the best review we get each week. I guess we got a couple more this week, Keely. Yeah, we have two. And both of them are pretty good. It's from, uh, first one is from Daniel from Santa Barbara, who gave us five stars. So the best USC football podcast. Look no further. This is the best podcast if you want insight into all things USC football. Ryan Keeley and team are all wonderful. This podcast has it all. You get an inside look into how the team is performing, weekly practice reports, previews, and expectations for upcoming games. They take questions from listeners and provide candid reaction to games played and where the team should be moving forward. I also really enjoy when they have guests speakers if you need one more reason to listen trader joe's is a sponsor ryan gives you a quick fearless flyer update which is always appreciated <laughs> and can make your mouth water fight on daniel from santa barbara and then we had one more um from lambert jh who said <laughs> the subject of the review is can your podcast host do all of the following with a five-star review share insights on trojan baseball's outfield depth and have long hair give insider <laughs> info while hurting cats aka the other podcast hosts or make food analogies while constantly thinking about his next vacation. <laughs> I don't think so. Listen to this podcast with the same intensity you would have uh, you would have used to fire off a Helton needs to go response to a Carol Fold tweet about marine biology research. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's our winner. That's our winner. It's yeah. amazing. Who yeah. was that one? Uh, Lambert, I believe. Lambert. All right, so send me an email, Ryan at uscfootball.com, and uh, with your address, your physical address, I will snail mail you a fifty dollar gift gift card to. Trader Joe's. And I know, Dan, it's coming around your your time of year for Trader Joe's, the corn pudding and <laughs> corn everything. Pudding. I went there the other day. Well, talk about my time of year with Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's has just opened their first ever Northern Kentucky Trader Joe's. Nice. Look at that. <laughs> Did you have influence on that? Like six weeks ago. Oh, it's it's uh, <laughs> fabulous. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you had some influence. I know. You know people high up there. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, Ms. Uh, John uh, Basselin said that, uh, you know, they were looking for another location in greater Cincinnati. And I said, you got to come to Northern Kentucky and darned if he didn't. Yeah, they did. For anyone that's the, the president of Trader Joe's. Dan just, <laughs> just name casually name dropped. <laughs> um, very nice. Dan. I know I went there the other day. Uh, those little ciabatta rolls are really good. So I, I went there and I bought the, uh, I like getting, I make like pasta sauce. So I had some pasta sauce frozen. I came out and thawed it, but I bought the uh, spinach tortellini that's in the refrigerator section. So I love getting like the fresher pasta like that. So I cooked that up and I put my sauce in there and I took the ciabatta bread, cut it in half and I put butter and garlic and a little bit of uh, parsley on top. And I just put them in the broiler and I made little, uh, a uh, little garlic bread out of it and nice. stuff. So it was cool. Yeah. So I, I took a picture and put it on Instagram. I was like, this is my little Trader Joe's dinner last night. So it was like dinner for one. It was dinner for one. Yes. That was it your was. caption. I was, made, I was by myself. I'm like, I want to make myself a nice little dinner here. So it was good. Uh, but glad you got your Trader Joe's in Northern Kentucky, Dan. Yes. I'm really excited about the, uh, uh, the corn pudding. Okay. okay. I'm just uh, <laughs> getting ready for the holidays and I may, may buy a case. They had a uh, great, great, uh, uh, peaches in, in little cases and, and they were just, you know, we just kept going out and buying more and more of them. So, uh, um, uh, they, they did a really nice, they, they just have a wonderful workforce. I mean, it's just, uh, the same kind of people that you got used to in California. Uh, it's like they hired the same, same people in, in Northern Kentucky and, uh, you know, they're happy as heck to see you there and, uh, and, and really helpful. I really, uh, I couldn't, could not be more pleased that, that they're here. Good to hear, Dan. All right. Well, we got a lot of questions to get to. We have some news to get to. We have to preview 
uh, USC's matchup with Arizona State. So we're going to talk about all that. But we have some breaking news to go with. And we're going to get – it's going to be great. I'm, I'm so happy Dan's on here because we got to get his opinion on all these things. But um, the second job in FBS football to open after UConn was USC. USC fired Clay Helton after the Stanford game uh, week two, way back in early September. The third job to open was Georgia Southern uh, out of the Sun Belt. They run the triple option, um, former FCS school. They won like six FCS national championships. They actually had three. Their last three seasons were great. Um, they move on. Well, there's been a marriage between those two schools. Clay Helton uh, reportedly for 800 grand a year. Uh, helps USC out a little bit with their buyout, but he's going to be the new head coach at Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. They're putting out billboards. Uh, it's pretty crazy the kind of hype that's going on around it. There's a lot of hyperbole, a lot of things being said about Clay Helton that make some USC fans kind of cringe a little bit. But we, I love the fact that we got Dan on here because we first want to get your thoughts on that Stanford. You know, following the Stanford game, Clay Helton being fired. We actually got you on to to write columns now uh, once a week, so we we didn't line it up because Clay Helton got fired to do columns like that. And then get your thoughts on uh, him being hired by Georgia Southern. But maybe whatever you want to start, we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the timing was such that I think I wrote my first column on Sunday uh, saying they had to fire Clay and they fired him on Monday. So it was like, you know. You're a big, you're a big deal. It's the unusual timing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it surprises me in some ways because – Georgia Southern was, uh, I mean, they played physical football. Georgia Southern was a, they were a bunch of tough guys. They had a uh, former University of Georgia top assistant named Irk Russell, who was a tough guy, and he taught tough guy football. And that's what they played in in South Georgia. And um, they could line up, you know, even when they were winning the, uh, you know, national championships at, at, you know, 1AA. They could line up with a lot of people. Uh, Clay just seems so not their type uh, in, in terms of physical football. Uh, but I guess it really helps to have the super agent as your agent, uh, who, you know, Jimmy Sexton, who can basically, I think, I don't know if he can hire and fire coaches uh, all over the place, but uh, he's got an awful lot of power in terms of, uh, you know, making – things happen and if he's got a client who uh needs a job I, I think you know it's a probably a pretty good move to have jimmy sexton uh behind the scenes kind of pulling the strings which you know and everybody looked at the fact that james franklin switched over you know to jimmy sexton as his agent which uh you know probably gives you more ability to adjust to maybe a job that you didn't expect to open up, opens up, let's say the Florida job or whatever opens up. Uh, so, you know, as far as it just doesn't seem like a fit in terms of coaching style uh, for Clay, uh, but, I, I, you know, I, I, I mean, if you're Georgia Southern and you can hire the coach from the University of Southern California who – you know, won a Pac-12 and won the Rose Bowl and, a, you know, great Rose Bowl and things like that, you know, and can take credit for Sam Darnold. However, USC people, you know, think about what happened with Clay and Sam Darnold. Uh, you can create a story 
line that uh, maybe the you know the people at you know Georgia Southern are going to say, hey, this is pretty cool. But uh, I would not expect anyone who is familiar with from the USC point of view to think, gee, that's probably a good move for them. Uh, <laughs> it, it just doesn't. It, 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 I mean, it's in one way it's surprising, in one way it's not. Yeah. Uh, considering uh, you know all the the things that are going on. I don't know, you know, if somebody needed, I mean, you wouldn't probably want to be a coach who's on the, on the edge of the firing line. If Jimmy Sexton had a, had a coach who needed a job at your school, uh, you probably might want to be real nervous about that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely a strange situation. Um, I mean, Clay Helton had a huge buyout, didn't need to work, um, you know, one of the first coaches to take a job. It's a good you know situation for Georgia Southern where you can get somebody in there. They have the interim coach going now, but he can assemble his staff, get the recruiting and stuff going. But they're not going to be. I mean, if he's if he wants to run the triple option, he's going to have to hire some. I mean, he doesn't have experience in that. Their roster is set up for the triple option, and this was a team that they. I mean, it's a pretty good job they've had. There's you know, there's fairly high expectations for a place like Georgia Southern just because they have been able to win. They've, they've fallen off this year. Um, they really turned, uh, I forget the coach's name, but they fired him fairly quickly uh, after like a one and three start. But you look around like Billy Napier is a big name in there. I mean, you're like Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, like teams that have beaten good teams, you know, uh, F, F, uh, group. this is a group of five league that's beaten power five teams. And uh, Butch Jones is in there, Appalachian State. Like there's, this is not going to be like you take over a, a crushing program that's just going to dominate this league. You have to rebuild a program that's, you know, was doing well in the league and isn't anymore. And there's some teams in the league that are doing really well. So this is, uh, I mean, if he does well there, I, you got to give Craig Clayton a lot of credit because this does not look like a, some kind of easy fix. No, and I would think the whole state of Georgia, you know, based on what's happening with the University of Georgia, and you know completely kind of at the other end of the state is doing is kind of raising expectations, uh, you know, in the state of Georgia. And the one big advantage that Georgia's always had is uh, it's unlike Mississippi and, and Alabama, where you have, you know, two SEC teams or, or Tennessee, there's only one, you know, only one SEC team in, uh, in the state of Georgia and, and one of those states with, you know, that produces a whole lot of, you know, college football prospects. So, uh, yeah, they're not. It's not going to be a place where the expectations kind of drop off. And as you mentioned, some of those coaches, there's some really good coaches at that level of college football now, uh, all over the place. And so, uh, you know, you're not going to just go in there based on on your name or the fact that you used to coach at USC and uh, and be able to, you know, uh, just say, look, uh, you know, I'm above the. I'm about the rest of these guys. There's some really good coaches. Yeah, I mean, like, hey, you got Tennessee's former coach, you know, and stuff like that going there. Uh, Billy Napier, you know, ASU, former ASU uh, uh, offensive coordinator. Keely, what were your thoughts when you heard about this? I thought it was pretty soon. You know, I, I thought that maybe he would take some time to, you know, just sit back and evaluate everything. You know, he was hmm. at USC for so long. I thought that maybe he would just kind of wait a little bit. You know, but the quick turnaround, maybe it's because given his reputation and how things ended, maybe he felt like if he waited 
longer, he would be dead in the water, or maybe there wouldn't be a lot of interest. I don't know. But I thought there would at least be more time. Like, there would at least, the season would at least end before he gets a new job. So I thought this was a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Uh, it, it almost seems like uh, it might have been in, at least in the, not necessarily in the works, but in somebody's mind that, you know, kind of an insurance policy, uh, where would you go if, which makes it makes you really second guess the wisdom of bringing Clay back this year for you know what three games I, I'm trying to remember three two. games uh, two that's right yeah why would you do that you know I mean uh, that 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 really that whole when you think of what you could have done between the end of you know last year and this year. And to lose the, all of that time, and now, you know, Georgia Southern has a coach before USC does. Um, uh, it, 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 the wisdom of bringing Clay back, I think that really makes, it, makes the case for uh, that was not a good idea. Yeah. All right, we'll move on. Uh, Drake. Well, can I, uh, sorry, oh, can I just jump in? Sorry, I have a question course, for Dan. Dan. Oh, yeah. Dan, you've seen so much USC football over the years. I'm just curious your thoughts of seeing this team play this season. What What are you thinking about this? I, I don't know what I'm looking at. I, I, I see guys <laughs> that don't know. I mean, I, I look at stances and I think, where did that come from? Who Who's teaching them, to, you know, getting stances like that? I'm, I'm thinking, do they really know what they're doing i mean uh, body i think body language really is important in, in in football and they just look like they're all over the place uh and and it's it's like they're not all kind of on the same page and you realize when you watch them you think you know there've been a lot of and i don't want to you know say it in a way that you know where you're putting the players down but you look at certain position groups and you think Whoa, what happened between the time those kids were recruited and the time and now in terms of, you know, this is still a team that, you know, technically, if you add the numbers up, was number 10 in the nation in terms of recruited talent going into this season. But they don't look any way near, uh, you know, a top 10 team. Uh, in terms of talent and, and you know, they're, they're obviously there are, you know, more players at some positions and other positions were, you know, both sides, both lines were under recruited for enough years, uh, you know, where they're, you know, they've, they've got all kinds of trouble. And you watch, for example, you watch them in games where they couldn't run the ball and then you watch them and you think, wait a minute, Ingram, that kid can run. I mean, and, and you know they're they're getting enough out of the you know the three veterans, uh, you know center and the two guards that they're able to run the ball. But did they not know they could run the ball? Uh, and it's just frustrating, I think, to watch. Uh, they don't exactly look prepared. Uh, that the that the penalty situation hasn't gotten even remotely better. Uh, it, it, that the um, the celebrations seem still, you know, as great as they were, and you know, you look and you think, what are they celebrating? You know, why why is that? Uh, and and you saw, I just thought kids were trying to do 
in some ways too much. Uh, every time, after about the first four games, I'm thinking every time Drake London, you know, caught the ball, I'm thinking he's going to try to, you know, do this or do that or whatever. He's trying so hard. He's just, I mean, he was you know, remarkable. I mean, I, I don't know that I've seen a player kind of like maybe Mike Williams a little bit, uh, that, you know, we're just going to take the team on his back. I mean, you just don't see wide receivers who are the toughest guy on the team. I mean, that, that's just almost, I don't know, again, was, was that Mike Williams? I don't, there were a whole lot of tough guys when he played. But uh, when you're, you know, toughest guy is your wide receiver, you think, wow, why would that be? How is that? And uh, you just, I think what you realized was year after year after year after year of not doing things uh, right and completely right and not understanding how you win football games, this catches up with you. I mean, uh, as, to be honest, I like the uh, and talking to every one of the assistant coaches except the, the very newest guys from this, this past year. I liked them a lot and thought, okay, they can't not be better <clears throat> with these guys. And then you watch them and you think, man, it doesn't look like they've had – anywhere near the impact you thought they would have. And, you know, you just realize you can't hire around uh, a head coach who's not capable uh, you know, of getting the job done. There's nothing you can do. Uh, and that's your job is to, to make that decision and probably should have been made a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and then you go from there. But there's nothing you can do uh, if you don't have, you know, the right guy. It's, you know, there aren't that many guys that are really, really, really good coaches. And a program like USC demands a good coach. If USC has a really, really good coach, they'll win national championships. If not, they're going to be pretty ugly. And that's been their history, the history of USC all the way through. And um, so you can't just get by. You can't just, so oh, maybe we'll make do or whatever. No, you have to have a guy who's capable of winning national championships. There are some programs, that's the only level of coach that you're allowed to have. And if you don't have it, uh, you're doing it wrong. And USC has been willing not to do it right. And this is the penalty that that you pay. For example, I was just thinking the rest of the year. There's four games to go. Who has any idea? They could win four. They could lose four. They could win the two at on the road, they could lose the two at home. I mean, who knows? Who has any possible any clue? You have no idea. I don't know how, you know, Las Vegas, you know, would handicap USC. I mean, it's just uh, there's just no way you can know, and it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, it's tough, and, so that, and that's gonna, kind of my take. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to get into the ASU preview in a little bit because um, they're another team. They're just like I don't know. Uh, but one of the, the, the mainstays for USC, you mentioned Drake London. And just so you know, we talked about this with Harvey Hyde on Monday. It was, we found out on Sunday following the game that he, uh, broke his ankle, uh, fractured his ankle, and he's going to be out for the season. Uh, we did get to see him on the sidelines, uh, in the second half, he came out in a cart and had crutches and stuff. He's been out to practice a little bit this week, but just a just a bummer. I mean, I get your thoughts on that, Dan, just losing uh, a player like that of that caliber. Just someone that stood out. The USC's had a lot yeah, of great I mean, receivers. He, he, he just was, stood out. He was so, you know, the heart of that team. I mean, he was so the leader 
in every way you can be a leader. Uh, it's just pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, it's so rare for a kid who comes in as a, a dual sports star and the second sport is basketball to be, to have the physicality that he had and the fearlessness. And I mean, he was, he's rare. I mean, there have been very few uh, wide receivers in recent college football history like him. I mean, I don't know that I can come up with, you know, and say, Oh, that guy. No, I mean, I don't think I can. Uh, he was that, you know, one of a kind. And, uh, uh, it's just amazing. I, you know, will, will it cost him or will people just say, you know, uh, he deserves the bullet in the cost. We're going to give it to him anyway. Uh, you know, not his fault that he, you know, he broke his ankle, but, uh, uh, I'll be really interested in seeing, um, you know, his numbers will be compatible, you know, comparable, um, after, you know, the seven games or whatever, then everybody else is 12. Uh, so I, I would love to see him, uh, you know, the people at the Boletnikoff Award just say the heck with, uh, he didn't get to finish out the season. He was the best receiver uh, in the country, and he was. Uh, I mean, he he runs patterns so perfectly. I mean, uh, that he, you know, there's not a, um, you know, a, 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 a 50, there's, there's no such thing as a 50, 50 ball. If, uh, if it's thrown to him, I mean, he's, you know, I know there's guys at the game the other day were saying 80, 20 or whatever it is. He's, <laughs> uh, he, he showed me more. I, I don't think I knew he was that good. Uh, I, I, I thought he was very, very good, but he, he fooled me. Uh, he's just, he's sensational. I mean, he's just, he's got that, uh, that speed that is is deceptive. I mean, I don't know, you know, where his top forty time is going to be, but he's got enough speed um, that he can create separation. And unfortunately, with, with this offense, they don't create as much separation no. as you like as you like to see uh, the way they run the air raid. But uh, uh, and you know, you hopefully that. I mean, since it's not a knee, you're hoping that uh, that doesn't uh, make the NFL scouts get a little nervous and all that. You never want to bet on the, how smart the NFL scouts are going to be. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I mean, uh, you know, that's kind of a bad bet. But but hopefully, and, uh, you know, I, I saw that he, they think he's ready. He'll be ready for the combine and all that. He'll be, I would guess, going into the combine, he will be the number one person that everybody at the combine will be there to watch uh and which will probably be a good thing uh but um uh yeah i mean it's it's really a shame and, and how they're going to react to having having him only on the sideline i don't know uh, uh i mean it didn't look like as much as he did personally i didn't get the sense that he was being able he was able to kind of bring the rest of them with him um, I mean, I thought they were, you know, they loved watching him. Yeah. I just, I mean, he only I'm scored six sure. points after, after the half. So that's not a, you know, since his injury, they scored six points. That wasn't good. And it's yeah. what shotguns and pointed so out. That, oh, well, shotgun pointed out that he led the nation and contested catches. And it was like six above everybody else. I'm like, I don't know if you've updated the numbers, but that's one of those, like he's, you know, his, 
he was leading a lot of categories. That's going to go by the wayside after people catch up. But that contested catches thing might last for the end of the season just because he had so many uh, on there. And that's not always a good thing about the offense. You're like, your best receiver has to make the most contested catches. Is that a scheme thing? Yeah, because he's not open a lot, but he still makes the catch. Other people don't have that chance because they're like, they're schemed open and he's not. So, uh, but that might, that might hold. He might have the most by the end of the season. It's not a, it's not a a feature. It's a bug or it's a, it's not ever the (laughs) other way around of the offense. You know, I mean, it's just, that's just the way the offense is. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, let's uh, look over. Yeah. He, Okay, we'll go over to Arizona State. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit, get your thoughts there. But this is some breaking news that just happened. And it's funny, I had a fan on Twitter. We tweeted out like our Tunnel Vision show and uh, that we're going to preview the game. And he's like, I'll give you a preview. Arizona State's like well-coached and um, buttoned down, something like that. And uh, and I was like, okay, you have not watched Arizona State. They got outscored their last two games 56 to nothing over a stretch. Um it was pretty bad, and Pete Thamel tweeted out that things are spiraling, spiraling at Arizona State. So, former player and sideline reporter Jordan Simone, I believe that's how you pronounce it, um, was fired. He's their radio uh, sideline reporter. So it's sort of be like, I don't know, Sean Cody or Sue Cravens, but I guess Jordan Simmons, I mean Jordan Jordan Moore is the sideline reporter. But this is a former Arizona State safety who's been doing the radio broadcast. He tweeted out, I'm sad to announce I've been let go from the Arizona State radio broadcast for some comments I made on uh, a Sun Devils podcast. It was a Son of the Devils podcast. I have nothing but love for the football program, the university. I'm as proud of a Sun Devil as you're going to find, and I will miss my time on the sidelines. And Thamel uh, quoted some of the things he said as, these players don't even realize that they're being coached so poorly and also... They've been coached out of a championship. So he's the sideline reporter. I mean, it's not his full-time job. He just does that, you know, once a week, uh, gets a small paycheck from the university, I'm assuming, and go, you know, goes on a podcast and tells them like, Hey, you know, they're, the players aren't getting great coaching and they fire them. Uh, that's a pretty bad one. I would get your thoughts on that, Dan. Yeah. I mean, I would think if I were the university, I would think, boy, thank you for saying that because we're going to have to make a big decision here. And it probably would bolster the decision we're going to have to make. I mean, between the NCAA investigation and, and, and you know, their approach to NCAA recruiting rules, which was, what, there are recruiting rules? Who, who knew? Uh, you know, that, that I would think Arizona State, that would be the, you know, uh, on page seven of the things to do to get the program, you know, squared away. Uh, and it would be the kind of thing that even if you wanted to do it, somebody in the program should say, no, this is going to look terrible. Don't do it. You know, we're bigger than this. We can, we can handle some, you know, cr- criticism and, and, and call the guy in and say, okay, what, what do we need to do to have you not ripping, <laughs> ripping the coaches in the podcast or, or the, whatever the interview and, and and not focus on it. I mean, that's absolutely least of their of their problems, obviously. But uh, but I, I've been surprised that that they've been able to hold it together as long as they were. I would have thought it would have come oh, yeah. sooner than this. The way the whole thing was being put together. I mean, they were like not exactly. Co- I mean, it was like in a different world. They were not exactly a 
you know, your your college football program that you kind of, this is how you do it. They didn't ever do it that way. And it was, it always seemed like it was just a matter of time. And then for some reason, I guess part of that is you're in the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is a different sort of a place. And who knows? You know, uh, you can say, well, you got really bad problems. And then you say, yeah, but look at all those guys. Look at all the problems they got. Yeah, people, and, people point out USC's problems. Like Pac-12, you could kind of survive thanks to other people's problems. Yeah, and but yeah, it's it's caught up with Arizona State at this point. Uh, who knows? I don't know. Does that mean anything for this weekend? I have no idea. It's hard to tell because I've been saying this from the very beginning, Dan. That you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop with ASU because they had to suspend three. Right assistant coaches now nothing really else has come of that there haven't been a lot of um interviews or anything with the coaches and stuff yet but that halftime if you remember three weeks ago arizona state's undefeated in the pac-12 they have a 21-7 lead on utah at halftime and they're looking like they're going to cruise and be the pac-12 South champions and then from that point like from that moment they get outscored 56 to nothing they get run off of the field by uh utah uh, Washington State turns them over on the very first three possessions of the next game. Uh, they lose by double digits to to Washington State, and now they're reeling. And now you fire your sideline coach. I mean, your sideline reporter. Um, and we had Sua Cravens on our Tunnel Vision show early on, and he said some critical things. I mean, I don't think you know he he said some things. It was after the Stanford game, I believe. Um, you know, and you're not fixing anything by saying, "Hey, we're going to let your our sideline reporter go." Like someone that bleeds. Uh, you know, Sun Devil, he's just, just a Sun Devil through and through. You're going to fire that guy because he's being kind of critical. It just doesn't make much sense. Keely, would, did you have any thoughts on that one? Or just like, I mean, it's just, it's not a good sign, right? No, I mean, but it, it's par for the course. A dysfunctional athletic department is making weird moves. I mean, yeah. you know, it's kind of just, it makes sense. Now, and like you guys said, I, I thought Herm would be gone earlier. So I don't know. We'll see. He's still there. I I can't imagine him being back. In 2022, but no, I mean yeah. he made comments after the loss on Saturday that he basically said it's the players, it's the players, and it's like how if everything's melting down, how are you f- then putting it on the players? Like I maybe he really believes that, but that's just not great for team morale, I would think. No, yeah. What do you think, Dan? So that's where you drop a little note to the sideline guy and say thank you. Uh, this goes <laughs> in the file, and when and you just put it in the file and. When you you have that meeting, you say, well, you know, here's here's a list of things. But if you want to talk about the Pac-12, you're dysfunctional and you get run out of the field by Washington State. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to, you know, in the dictionary dysfunction, you got a picture of a cougar. You know, I mean, good <laughs> Lord. You talk about a football program that's dysfunctional. My goodness. And and. and and you're more dysfunctional than Washington State. I know without I mean, that the game, staff just got washed out. I mean, yeah, you were missing he, eight coaches going, from the start of the season in that game because Washington State was down five, you know, five coaches, their head coach and four assistants, and ASU was down three. So that, like, that's the missing coach bowl from last week. <laughs> oh no! I mean, only in the Pac-12. I mean, only in the Pac-12. <laughs> I mean, then you lost, you know, Clay Helton. I mean. I mean, but obviously, when you talk about dysfunction, if you've had to fire back-to-back head coaches, we used to, we, we, I would go nuts at the fact that that happened at USC. Then they end up 
firing the next one. So back to back to back. I mean, that's never happened remotely in college football history uh, during the season. That, that that's happened with three straight coaches. That's him. I mean, you go to Notre Dame for the third time with an interim coach. It's like this is crazy world. This yeah. is nuts, though. I mean, nobody does that. I mean, nobody ever anywhere. Yeah, I mean, correct. if you did that at one school in the Southeastern Conference, they would fire everybody, <laughs> all the way to the president, the board of trustees. Everybody would be gone. I mean, nobody would be left. There wouldn't be anybody left to fire anybody because they'd all be gone. <laughs> so and crazy. Here's the Pac-12. They just keep moving on like this is normal. Yeah. You think, oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know, Dan, Which if you got to so see. frustrating at USC, huh? the Pac-12. How can you not win the Pac-12 every year at USC? I mean, come on. There, there shouldn't be any, any other uh, you know, bar. The, the bar should be we're going to win the Pac-12 every single year. We're USC, and those 11 aren't. And yeah. that, it's, it's that simple. I mean, it's crazy that they're like, well, maybe we can win the Pac-12 South. I don't know. <laughs> That's nuts. Now it's maybe make a bowl game. Um, which is crazy too. Um, so Arizona state, just if you know, I mean, yes, they looked good early in the season. They did lose to, uh, BYU, which the whole PAC 12 has, and USC is going to have their opportunity, uh, <laughs> the weekend after Thanksgiving. But, uh, it's one of the better defenses in the PAC 12, a lot of super seniors, guys coming back, uh, some big name players. Uh, Chase Lucas is, you know, one of the best corners. He didn't have a good game last week, but one of the best guys around. He's a team captain. Uh, Merlin Robertson, like he's a great linebacker. There's a bunch of guys that are that you would know their names for ASU. Jack Jones, uh, you know, he played at USC. Um, the offensive side's been a little weird. Uh, they have a really good run game. Um, uh, I think White comes back this weekend. He was a run, uh, their best running back was out last week against Washington State. But a lot of drops. Jaden Daniels, you could consider one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, he's had some, some issues just with like drops. There's been a lot of penalties. You saw USC get three, you know, three big plays called for penalties, called back for penalties last week. ASU had the same sort of thing. Um, they're a team that like, they've made a lot of mistakes, screwed up, shot themselves in the foot, very USC like, um, but there's, you know, if, if they come out, if ASU comes out and plays well, USC is going to have to play a good game to win this one. But I don't know. I mean, it's just two teams that can be look really good, Dan, or be completely dysfunctional or somewhere in between. So I, that's, that's why this one's really interesting to me. I mean, does ASU drop a whole bunch of passes and commit a bunch of turnovers and penalties, or do they play a clean game and just blow USC out? Like, I just don't know. No, USC is capable of, of almost anywhere on the spectrum. Uh, uh, you know, do they use the Drake London, uh, you know, loss to say, look, the rest of us have to start playing. Uh, and, and is there enough? Is there enough talent? Are there enough, you know, linebackers? Are they? Uh, is the secondary as slow as they look sometimes, or, or, or are they capable of, you know, actually tackling somebody in the open field or, or staying with the, you know, the deep threat and all of that? I mean, I think it's amazing that uh, uh, Arizona came out and instead of doing what. Uh, you know, Oregon State had done and Stanford done, and just running it down USC's throat to some extent, they decided they're going to throw deep and just started throwing over the top. It's like, well, they can't, you know, they can't stop that either. 
it's amazing. You would love to be in a uh, in the coach's room when they're putting together the game plan against USC and hear what they're really saying about what they think of the USC team on, on when they you know when, when they break down the film. I just I find that really instructive uh, yeah. as to what do they what do they see and what do they think they can do against USC. Keely, what did you? I don't know how much you got to see of ASU this year. Uh, Not any, too much. That's yeah. the problem of covering college football. I don't get to see much college football <laughs> on the day of, which is unfortunate. Um, but you know, I think part of this could be it could be a, a meltdown bowl, like which team just implodes oh, yeah. the fastest. I mean, you could argue both teams are circling the drain. Yeah, <laughs> like it could be a meltdown bowl. I mean, it could be USC's defense. I mean, we talked to Todd Orlando this week, and he was talking about situational awareness, having trained eyes, and how that has kind of become a problem now in the second half of the season, where the first half was run defense. But both of those things could come out ahead against this ASU offense because Jane Daniels presents a problem, but then also they take pride in the run game. And so USC could get gashed down the middle and we kind of have a sense of how their defensive line health is looking right now. It's okay, better than it was against Arizona, but still guys are banged up like Jamar Sacona, Nick Figueroa, stuff like that. So It'll be interesting to see, you know, and and like I say every podcast every week, I just don't know what the standard is for this USC team this season. They could come out and play really well. They have a tendency to kind of do that in Tempe, but I just don't know what to expect from this USC team. And also, this USC offense, Drake London was that guy, you know, coming into to this season or each game, we were like, okay, it's the Drake London show and a run game that's kind of blossoming a little bit with Keontae Ingram but now if you take away Drake London who's going to step up you know we've talked about chemistry issues this whole season with wide receivers I don't know if anyone's going to really step up in a way that they need to shotgun said it on instant analysis yesterday but you know it's it's not going to take one effort everyone in that that receiving group needs to raise their their efforts and I just don't know if we're going to see that from them at this point of the season you know so we'll, we'll see but like I said I really don't know what to expect from this USC team each week so we yeah. shall see. I think everybody does. You know, <laughs> you know what you would like to see is that they decided. You know, we don't have Drake London. We better be able to run the ball and and come out and actually run the ball and believe in the run and 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 you know prepare to to run it and run it and then you know you set up your play action. Pay, you know the stuff that Clay Helton said seven years ago he was going to do. You run it and you run it. And then when they, you force them to come up and play the run, and then you, you know, you can throw it. Now, sort of the classic USC style, and and maybe that is the kind of thing that focuses their minds this week on. Hey, we don't have Drake London. We have to run the football. It's not like I mean, Keontae Ingram, he might be the best running back in the league, right? I mean, I I think he is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is, he's is, is he's there anybody looked... better than he is? The way he's looked, you know, he could have had over 300 yards without those penalties last week. So, um, yeah, I think if USC has success, it's going to be Keontae Ingram is a big part of it uh, this weekend. But, yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, hey, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and Dan will let you answer some questions like uh, like old time's sake. That cool? Okay. All right. Back in a minute. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got a bunch of questions. 
Um, you want me to start with a voicemail, Keely? Sure, go for it. Let's. Uh, we didn't get to talk much about the who the next head coach could be. Dan has, you know, knows the University of Cincinnati well, where this guy Luke Fickle is. This question has something to do with that, so let me play it for you, Dan, and get your thoughts. Hey, guys. This is Daniel out of L.A. Uh, it's been a year, actually, since I've called into the podcast. After everything that's going on with USC, I've been angry for over a year and a half now. And, uh, you know, the old saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Uh, so a quick question, um, think, uh, uh, coaching question, Luke Fickle. Pretty, pretty good coach. Uh, do you think uh, Cincinnati runs the table, go undefeated, and still gets left out of the college football playoff? Could that motivate Luke Fickle to actually leave Cincinnati and come to a Power 5 conference just to, you know, beat up on these guys that would not let him in while he was at Cincinnati, just to prove a point and just to get back at them? Could that motivate him with light a fire under him to actually know that he has to leave Cincinnati, you know, to, to get to – a championship because it's got to be kind of heartbreaking or kind of pressing. If they do not get into the, into the, the uh, that final four after the season they've had, they're having, it's like, what else can he do at Cincinnati? You know, what else can you really do? Uh, thanks guys. Fight on. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot for Daniel there. He's, uh, he's been gone as long as I have. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> probably the last time you were on the show is when he called in. <laughs> uh, Cincinnati's in an interesting position. I mean, they're they're basic. It's not in their control. Okay, they did, they had a couple of flat spots the last two weeks and and uh, you know, didn't win with enough style points. But uh, they need Alabama to lose again, and they need Georgia to beat Alabama, and they need Michigan State to beat Ohio State. You get both of those teams with two losses, and that's two teams ahead of uh, Cincinnati. Who are gone, and Cincinnati has to run the table, and you know, they've got SMU and um, in Houston, uh, where they had a you know a crazy game last week. But neither one of them are too bad. Uh, neither one of them is uh, you know uh, those would be pretty good wins for Cincinnati. But if if they get cooperation, they might make it in as the fourth team. I think they I think the the committee is stuck with if Oregon doesn't lose. They can't put Oregon behind Ohio State. They can't. They just cannot justify that. The committee knows they'll get ripped uh, up one side and down the other if they do that. I mean, they beat them at Ohio State. Oregon beat them at Ohio State without Oregon's best player, uh, out two of their best players, actually. And uh, so uh, I think the committee is, is stuck that way. Uh, I don't know that I want to see Fickle coming to USC with negative motivation. I think he, you know, I think I, if he wants to come, and it'd be a big, a big adjustment. He and his wife and you know his six kids and that they're really they're Ohio, 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 and uh, uh, to see him, you know, obviously Mike Bone, you know, hired him, and to see him come to uh, L.A. would be an interesting, you know, situation. I mean, if you got six kids though. Uh, Free tuition for all of them at USC is not a bad deal, no matter how much money you're making. That's a pretty good, uh, uh, you know, if, if your wife is not sure she wants to come, uh, that would be a, a fairly good motivator. The oldest son is a freshman offensive lineman at, at UC. But uh, but I think, uh, I mean, I think the thing it would be attractive to me if I were Luke Fickle, I would say, look, I know how to run a program. I'm a tough guy. I'm a, you know, he, he has the record for the most starts at nose, nose guard or nose tackle at U.S. or at Ohio State. 
He is a uh, was a was a great wrestler. He's a tough guy. He's a quiet guy, but he's a tough guy. He's an organized guy. Uh, and if you you don't have to be a flashy guy. You know, everybody remembers Pete, and Pete was Pete. But if you come to USC as a, with an organized plan, and you really, really work at it, and you know what the heck you're doing, you know how to win football games, you'll be fine. Players will want to come to USC. It's USC. If they win, if USC wins, for example, you've got three of the top five or six high school programs in America in Southern California. I mean, and, and it's hard to ask kids, let's say, at modern day, they're going for national championships in high school, and then they, USC tries to recruit them and said, yeah, we, we might win the South in the Pac-12 <laughs> if we get lucky. That, that's not – you can't do that. They, you know, they need to say, uh, you know, we, we won a national championship in high school. We're going to win one in college. And uh, uh, USC has to have that program. If they have that program, however they get that program, the recruiting, I think, in a lot of ways takes care of itself. Uh, and they're in the Pac-12. I mean, the right coach at USC ought to be in the playoffs pretty much every year. I mean, you're in the Pac-12. I mean, it's just – so that's, you know, as much as, you know, I've probably created scenarios where it would be good to get out of the Pac-12, especially for the TV money, uh, you know, the one favorable thing is if you run the table in the Pac-12 year after year after year, it's really going to be hard to keep you out of the playoffs. It's going to be hard. Uh, as it will be with Oregon this year. Obviously, they went and you know, beat Ohio State. But, uh, uh, so I could see Fickle coming, but I, I would think he would come for the right reasons. And, and I know people are saying, well, but they're going to go to the uh, Big 12. And I'm just not sure that he, being in the Big 12 minus Oklahoma and Texas is going to be the same thing. It's just not going to be – when you take those two programs out of the Big 12, you've got a lot of small – a lot of small towns and places that just aren't going to move the needle, uh, you know, a great deal. Uh, and so I don't know if that's the solution or, you know, for Cincinnati to say, well, now you're going to take us. I don't think so. I mean, I think right now that, you know, the, the big 12 uh, is not very well respected. Uh, you know, Oklahoma was very much downgraded. Uh, and uh, obviously nobody you know, has much respect for Texas, and they're going to be gone. And it's much like the ACC. Uh, Clemson goes down the drain uh, to some extent. Florida State absolutely goes down the drain. And people are saying, you know, why take a team from the ACC? So I think in some ways the Pac-12 is, is better situated just because they don't have – in those leagues, they don't have a program like USC. If you get USC right – Everybody pays attention to you. Everybody looks at you. So I would think that would be the reason he would come, would be because it's USC. And he could be a a dominant college football coach for a very long time uh, if if he comes to USC. I think that would be the reason to come to USC. And I would think he's the number one guy on the list. And he has to say no, I think, first. Whether – He's going to be in a position to be able to say yes at this point in time as he tries to, you know, get his team to a historic, the first group of five team ever to get into the uh, into the playoffs. 
I don't know if he can even turn his mind to what might be next, which is one of the reasons I would, I kind of think that Aranda, Dave Aranda at Baylor might be the leader in the clubhouse kind of, because he could, I think, afford to at least seriously consider the UFC job. And he's a Southern California guy. And uh, so that would be kind of the analysis there with, with Sickle. Well, not to use a Clay Helton phrase here, but I'm going to. I feel like Stephen Poway had a crystal ball when he sent in this question, <laughs> this email. He said, Dear Ryan and Keeley, I don't have anything to say or ask this week because Dan Weber already wrote the perfect column. USC football fans are too smart for this. He must have bionic eyes because he can apparently see very clearly all the way from northern Kentucky to L.A. Would you be willing to invite Dan onto a podcast to discuss his views, his thesis that it's now basically Aranda or Tucker is perfect, but he said so much he said so much more in that column that needs to be discussed and heard best Steve in Poway. So there you go, Steve. We <laughs> we matched up perfectly. Dan, take it away. Just the way just the way I told Steve to write it. Okay. <laughs> well, Dan, your thoughts on I guess Mel Tucker yeah. since you ever already covered Aranda? Yeah, I mean I just think he's he's really good. I I still remember two years ago at the Pac twelve and I always try to and I meant this, I mentioned this to come. I always try to hang out with the new coaches that I don't know at all and haven't ever met. And so, um, and you get about a half an hour where everybody sort of hangs around. And I couldn't leave. I stayed there for the whole half hour. And I remember fairly quickly asking him, I said, where the heck, where are you from? And he said, you know, Cleveland. And I said, well, you know, and I, I knew all the places he'd been that he'd been with, you know, with Saban and he'd been at Georgia. I didn't, hadn't realized he'd been the interim coach at Jacksonville. For uh, for one part of one season, uh, I just thought, man, this guy, who would not play for this guy? This guy's got everything you you could possibly want. I didn't think he could get it done the way he did at at Michigan State this quickly. I mean, he took advantage of the you know the transfer portal and got himself a you know the best running back in the country maybe. Uh, but uh, and and again, I'm not sure that you know Michigan is as good as uh, as they're ranked but who who do you rank anymore you, you really don't know but that was a great win uh you know for for michigan state i would think if you were uh, mel tucker you've already moved you know two years ago you were one year at colorado and then you moved to michigan state i'm not sure if he's in a position to be able to move he's making you know five and a half million dollars a year uh, I would think Michigan State would do everything they could to keep him. Uh, but you are in Lansing, Michigan, or East Lansing, Michigan. And uh, I don't know if you saw any of the photos of what ha- what it looked like after the celebration was over last uh, Saturday night. But uh, uh, it's, a, it's a place that doesn't look all that good in its best day. And after something like that, it looked just terrible. And it, it's just you're – even though you beat Michigan, you're probably always going to be the little brother in the state. And uh, if you got a chance to to come to USC, uh, I'm thinking you'd have to really think it, you know, through hard. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure. Can you win the national championship at, at Michigan State? You know, if you get in the playoffs, I guess you can. Uh, but uh, you would think USC would be uh, significantly more attractive. If USC made the case that it matters enough, I think obviously it matters to Michigan State. They've got, you know, the whole 
Larry Nassar scandal to live down. And I think they, you know, they decided that, you know, the sports really matter. They've obviously uh, uh, invested a lot in, in the basketball program over the years. And I think they realize that, that sports matters a, a great, great deal uh, to their uh, university. Does USC have that same feeling? I mean, is, does football matter to USC as much? I don't know. I, I don't think we know. I think right now the way it's constituted with the current leadership, it does not. Uh, USC, I think, in, in, rec- in coming up with their next coach, will have to convince the next coach that it really does matter. And I think, you know, I think having to come up with a, a big-time football coach is probably a good thing for USC right now because they've got to figure out who they are and, and does this tradition that you know, goes back to the 1920s and is one of the you know, three or four you know, top college football traditions in American you know, history, uh, does it still apply? Does it, does it matter to USC or not? I, I mean, I don't know that can – you, can you guys say that it does? Do we know? That's a great point. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> we got a text know. from Alex from Chicago who said, uh, which is better, hiring a rising, hungry young coach like Dave Aranda of Baylor or a seasoned, quality, established coach like James Franklin? How can USC avoid a Jim Harbaugh or a Chip Kelly situation? Find on Alex from Chicago. See, it's so hard to just put out categories like that because what what category was Pete Carroll in? You know, I mean, he was... An NFL coach, he probably got treated badly and didn't get a fair shot. But who knew he would? His competitive uh, spirit would would show itself in recruiting the way it did. I mean, he he wanted to compete so much uh, across the. I mean, USC didn't have a whole lot going for it uh, then in terms of infrastructure or facilities or anything. And they had a, you know, Pete was a genius. For example, all the teams in the Pac-12 were starting to build indoor facilities, and and Pete and they would, you know, I still remember there were two and three and four pages in the media guides about their new indoor field house, blah blah blah, you know. And Pete would look at that and show it to a kid and say, "See this? You know why they need that? Because the weather is terrible there." You don't want to go there. It's a place that they got to build a big indoor field house where you can practice because you can't practice outside. We can practice outside all the time. And he, he had the ability to turn every situation into, you know, into his favor. I, I mean, I don't know that you could ever find another NFL coach who had the exact same experience as Pete had who could come in and do what Pete did. You could. They're, they're, they're that person doesn't exist so when you say are you going to get a harbaugh you know i mean harbaugh's a one-of-a-kind guy i mean I, when you would talk to him when he was playing in the nfl it was like you were talking to a middle linebacker he he didn't talk or think like the quarterback i'm not sure that's helping him be a coach <laughs> but he yeah. was one of a kind he was just he's harbaugh uh so it, it's so hard to know and and there are young you know assistants one of the biggest problems with hiring a young assistant is they've never hired anybody. And so you don't know what kind of a staff are they going to put together. It's going to be people they know, people they've heard, you know, something good about. I mean, it was always the classic problem with as great a 
uh, a guy as as I thought he was uh, uh, at Orgeron when he had those two great coordinators, uh, Randa one of them and Brady the other. Uh, he wins the national championship. He also had great receivers and a great quarterback. But uh, absent that, uh, it's a, it's a very difficult thing, uh, you know, for Ed uh, in terms of being a head coach at a place like LSU where they expect you, you know, to be in the running for a national championship every year. And, and so that's uh, – so I don't know that – I think it's all about the, the one guy that you end up with, and I don't think you can ever talk about, you know, this group against that group or whatever. The coaches aren't in groups. I mean, uh, like John McKay, in so many ways, was like the worst possible hire. I mean, my goodness. And, and he got off to a, a horrible start. And then all of a sudden, he was – you know, he and Bear Bryant were the two best coaches in the country. For yeah. years, but you would have never known that. You would have had no reason uh, to know that, even after the first year or two that John McKay spent at USC. It's it's so tricky. It's it's why it's the one job that the athletic director has that he has to get right. All the other jobs, you know, they're on the on the list, but you've got to get that uh, head football coach right, and you know. I, I just don't think you can categorize coaches as he's a uh, you know uh, up up and coming this or he's a uh, uh, you know established that yeah. USC's different. It's different coaching at USC. Who who I don't know. I mean, it's it's you know not easy. No, it's funny, Dan. I was doing my uh, I do meals on wheels like volunteer on Wednesdays and. One of my regulars, Myrna, um, she has neighbors or so she wasn't feeling great. She had a neighbor stop by this older gentleman. I mean, he might've been in his upper eighties or something, but you know, doing his walk and he had this Southern accent and he, I, um, I think I had like a uscfootball.com shirt on or something. And he had mentioned, Oh, USC is like, I did my graduate school there. And, uh, but I went undergrad to Alabama and he was like, I had Bear Bryant and then wow. John McKay. He's like, I couldn't do much better than that. It was pretty. It was pretty funny. It was like this, this old guy. I was like, oh, that's that, cool. good for him, you know. Well, I, I always think when I was, I, I got out of college and I get, I got a high school uh, teaching and coaching job, and I said, okay, I got to get ready for this, and I, I got uh, Bear Bryant's co- book on coaching, and I still remember. I think it was in the foreword. He said the most important thing. And being a, a successful college football coach is find a president who likes you and you like him and you can work with. If you don't get the president right, you probably are wasting your time. Uh-huh. And I think that's kind of an issue, you know, with USC. Uh, uh, he didn't go back. For example, Bear Bryant was great at Kentucky, and then he went to Texas A&M. And he started at, uh, at Maryland. And... Um, and people were, you know, well, why don't you go to Alabama? Well, he went to Alabama when Alabama hired the president. There were uh, the other school in Lexington was the private school called Transylvania, and that president was uh, a friend of Bear Bryant. And Alabama hired that guy to be the president, and that's what Bear Bryant said. <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to go home to Alabama. That and, is so uh, funny. That's, yeah. how you, that's how you do it. you got to feel like if you're an out, outside guy looking at the USC job, do you feel like 
you've got the kind of backing that USC is going to need to get back to where where it has to go? I don't know. I mean, these are the people that couldn't let Clay Helton go. Um, you know, how do you now, if you if you were a you know a guy that they're a really top notch guy that they're trying to you know get to come to USC, he would sit there and say, but why did you let Clay Helton go three years, four years longer than you should have? We all knew that wasn't going to end well. Why did that happen? I mean, how does USC explain that? I don't know. Yeah. All right, let's go on. We got another voicemail for you, Coach. I mean, Coach Dan. Sorry, do this for Coach Harvey Hyde. I play a coach. You were and you've been a coach, so that's okay. Uh, here's another coach. voicemail. Hey guys, this question's for Keely and Ryan. And yeah, so basically, my cousin is to Auburn, so we went up and visited her last week, and we went to the Auburn Ole Miss game. And just watching that game live, it really emphasized how far away the USC football team is. I mean. Every few series, there was one of those grimace, like, ugh, type hits, you know, like Ray Malaluga back in the day type hits, if, if y'all, you know, can remember when USC could hit like that. And, you know, it's, it, I just don't see anybody on USC. Well, not only did they hit, they also wrapped up and made the tackle. So it was just like they were like, you know, running into people hard. They could also tackle. And then just the level of physicality in that game is just something that, um, I don't see SC being anywhere near. And these aren't even the best teams in the SEC, right? I mean, I guess Auburn has kind of been an upward trajectory under Harson. I don't know. But, you know, it's so basically, long story short, I just don't see us being anywhere near that. Um, you know, obviously, back when I was at USC 2006, 2010, we were like that. But within the last four or five years, I don't see us anywhere being anywhere near that. And that was just pretty eye-opening and kind of a reminder of what, you know, physical college football looks like after having watched what you and I and you guys and I have watched at USC the last five, six years. Anyway, spot on, Jason Longwood catch. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point you bring up. I I like that you brought up Auburn because I still remember uh, in 2003 and USC is going down there for the opener and uh, kind of a, a lot of new guys. And I still I was hanging out on the corner uh, right down from the uh, stadium on Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon. There was a guy who had this orange and blue uh, VW bus with all kinds of Auburn stickers and painting and you know slogans and whatever. And I was kind of doing a, a, a scene setter uh, piece on what it was like to be in an SEC town the night before a USC football game. And uh, the guy didn't tell me, but uh, as it turned out, the Auburn head coach, after practice on Friday, would drive. A, he was in a car with the state trooper. The state trooper would drive him home. And that, that coach is now a senator, Tommy Tuberville. He was the coach at Auburn. And he would always stop and talk to this guy who had been on this corner, street corner for 20 years uh, before every game. And so I'm just standing there listening because I'm thinking, whoa, I mean, the Auburn coach is going to be coming, you know, he gets out of the car and he comes up and the guy says, and that was an Auburn team that had like four or five guys that, that were really good NFL players, uh, two or three running backs and, and a linebacker was a, a first round draft pick and a quarterback who started in the NFL. They were, you know, it was a pretty good team. 
And Tuberville, you know, he says, come on, coach, we're going to just run right over those guys, right? You know, those pansies on the you know, West Coast, blah, blah, blah. And Tuberville said, I don't think we can stay with them. He said, they're too quick. They're, too, they're, they're so quick and tough on defense. He said, I'm just not sure we can block them. And I'm thinking, whoa. And he was right. I think Auburn, uh, I'm trying to think, maybe got across the 50-yard line once. And USC shut him out. And that's who USC, I mean, and, and, and the respect that Tuberville had for USC, for that kind of football that USC was playing. And I don't think there's any other kind that USC can play. You've got to be, you know, if you're USC, you've got to be the tough guys on the field. You've got to be the guys that the SEC didn't want to play. I mean, basically after that, you couldn't get anybody in the SEC to play USC. You know, they would just, no, we're not, we're not going to play it. That's who USC has to be. You're exactly right. That physicality is just so important. And, uh, you know, they've got to respect you. And, uh, you know, obviously that's completely gone by the, by the wayside. And, and, and it's just, a, it's a crime. I mean, Keely, I guess we only mentioned that, what, like a thousand times in instant analysis? <laughs> just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. I feel like the only guy who might live up to that now is Solomon Tulialapupu, but he's not even fully healthy at this point. I mean, he's on scout team again messing people up a little bit he's like the only like really intense scout teamer now but yeah the physicality is just and it's it's sad because I think that's something that Todd Orlando and Craig Nava really want to do and instill in this team but I just think it's a it's a two-way street in that sense sometimes so yeah we'll see Ryan we actually got an email for you it's from okay. Bearsecutor who said, Ryan, too many fans are overlooking the fact that Chris Peterson took a deserving Washington team to a BCF playoff and can recruit in the West Coast. How else do you define success at USC? Franklin, Campbell, and Rule, let alone all other candidates, have not. Not saying he's the best candidate, candidate. I'm just saying he has a strong case. He should be on anyone's top three list. He has been a successful head football coach and can develop talent. He knows Pac-12 well and is brilliant scheme-playing cult calling coach Bearsecutor. Hey, Bearsecutor. I mean, I think he'd be a great candidate, but does he want to coach anymore? He retired from coaching, right? Like he was yeah. doing well and retired. Um, if he wants to come back in, I mean, USC should have looked at him before and Pat Hayden, oh, we don't even get all that stuff. But uh, if he yeah. wants to coach again and he's someone, the problem is Bearsecutor, if, if he wanted to coach and he's the guy, I mean, USC could have hired him a month ago, right? Like he's not coaching right now. So yeah. there's a, there's a definitely advantage there. He could have started getting a head start on recruiting and all that stuff and building his staff. And maybe that's the guy and he's doing it behind the scenes, but um, you know, and maybe there's reasons not, or maybe he's a backup plan and they're trying to get like a Luke fickle. And if he doesn't come through, they get him. I, I don't know, but yeah, I would think he's a good candidate. I don't know. What, what do you think, Dan? Uh, well, I, he doesn't quite project the kind of energy on you know on TV now that that maybe he used to uh, like for example when you saw Urban Meyer on television he projected True, that kind yeah. of energy he was really good uh, I, I I I don't see that as much as I I uh, admire a bear Secutor, I think for USC people you're never going to forget the fact that that team that made the playoffs for Washington got their helmets handed to them by USC in Seattle, where USC just took them apart. And that was a Clay Helton USC team that, that did that. And one of the two best you know games that uh, besides the Rose Bowl. 
that Clay Helton ever coached the team. Uh, but if we all remember that game where, you know, USC went up there and, uh, and, and took it to him. And obviously I don't think he had a quarterback that, you know, uh, that was good enough and, and all of that. But, uh, um, I'm just not, I, I'm not sure I see the fire. I'm not sure, um, you know, it's so hard to recreate like the kind of success those guys had at Boise, and you know maybe Harson, you know, uh, at Auburn uh, will be you know one of the Boise guys that it can can kind of keep it going. But uh, but but I just I was never that impressed with with I I still don't know how Washington got into the playoffs that year, uh, but. Uh, but I'm not sure when you look at the whole field that that he's the guy. Uh, I'm just not sure. He, he's kind of set in his ways. Uh, I, I I don't know, and I, I don't want to use this against him because that's what USC used against him when they hired Sark. That they said, well, <laughs> he's not. He won't adjust to LA as well. Uh, Sark is going to really you know, do the, he knows LA, he knows USC and, and Peterson doesn't, uh, I don't, I don't want to go there, but I'm just not sure that I see Peterson at USC. It, it, it doesn't seem as natural a fit to me. Yeah. I just don't think he's interested in coaching anymore. I think that's the issue there. We'll see. We shall see. Indeed. We got an email. It's kind of a statement from Keith who said, Hey gang. Wow. There's a theme for this year's Trojans. Make your opponents look great. Why can't they just show up? Except for Keontae Ingram, the dude definitely showed up. He would have had like 250 yards if not for stupid penalties. And heal quickly Drake London. They win this one, but it's hardly a victory. Keep up the good work, especially Keeley having to wrangle the boys. (laughs) Keith. So a little statement there from Keith. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, Dan, I mean, when you look at, you know, Stanford comes into the Coliseum. What, they put up 42 points. Most they've scored all season. Oregon State. 45, I think, the most they've scored all season. Uh, Utah put up 42. That was the most until they did 44 against UCLA last week. And then uh, Arizona, they hadn't. They were the only team that didn't break the 20-point barrier, and they get 34 against USC, like all in the Coliseum. It does seem like USC's been able to make opponents look great. I, I don't know. What do you think about Keith's statement? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I, and I really wanted to like, uh, you know, Todd Orlando. I really wanted to like Craig and, and I mean, I like <clears throat> Vic Soto and, and I just, I don't know why it doesn't. I mean, you watch them and you think, are they playing with blinders on? I mean, you see guys running by people and, and it's like, where are they going or why are they doing that? And it just doesn't seem to go together at all. Uh, it, it doesn't seem sound. And, you know, I don't know if that's a factor in uh, in, in uh, practicing against kind of an air raid offense, you know. Uh, and obviously you practice against the scout team as well. Does it make it harder to play really sound, solid kind of, you know, team defense if you can't have those periods where you know that you have goods against goods, as they, as a, a departed one like to say, but uh, uh, I mean, I thought that was the most valuable part of of Pete Carroll's practices when the uh, when they had the ones go against the ones, and maybe it was only for a few minutes, but those guys really competed with one another, and they were competing against 
kind of stuff that you were going to see kind of week to week. Whereas if your offense is really kind of in its own place, does that change kind of the way the defense approaches things? I don't know, but uh, I would have bet that they would have been more sound than this. And it just don't look sound at all. And, And I don't know what the explanation is, but you just know that you're looking at a team that doesn't look like it knows how to play defense. And that's not a good thing. No. Well, we have one final email, Ryan. I'm not sure if we have any more voicemails. No more voicemails. Okay, we're good. Okay, so final one, and it's from Larry, class of 86, who said, I haven't emailed the pod for quite a few years now. Not sure why now is the time to do so, but I find myself watching this Arizona game and have a few questions slash comments for you and the crew to ask if my and to see if my assessments of this team are, are reasonable or just a function of being so fed up with the program for 10 years or so now. So he has a couple of bullet points. I'll read them off. Is it just me or has USC uh, been much worse than the average school in giving up long touchdown plays for many years now? And related, this team seems to have been terrible at tackling for going on 10 years now. There is no safe win when USC is playing these days. And, and am I the only person who assumes that there will be an offensive penalty anytime our offense scores on slash makes a long play? Final observation, our program has been totally irrelevant nationally and an afterthought in the Pac-12 and threatening to lose relevance uh, in the in Los Angeles. I've been a fan of USC since 1974, and this is by far the most p- pessimistic I've felt about the program in those 70, or excuse me, 47 years. Yes, I remember the Hackett years. It'll be years before we're good again. Thanks, Larry, class of 86. Oh, Larry needs some therapy, Dan. I mean, I, I'm not yeah, saying like this. Well, I'm not going to be able to, I won't be able to give it to him. Uh, you know, I, you know, Larry. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's hard to, you know, obviously, hard to come up with a, you know, a positive take on, uh, and so much of that. Um, uh, they're, they're just, I mean, you know, you put your finger on a, a, a lot of issues that, uh, that seem to be there and almost without explanation that, 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 you know, again, uh, you probably had to do something about this three years ago at the very least. And once you let it go for three more years, um, I mean, this is what you end up with, you know, coaching uh, college football is really hard. There are so many moving pieces. There's so many people involved uh, and and when you don't demand the best of everybody in every place, uh, you know, uh, every day, um, when you're allowed to slide, when everything's allowed, to, you know, if the head coach is allowed to slide, everybody's allowed to slide. If the athletic director is allowed to slide because he doesn't know anything about the head coach, you know, if the president is allowed to slide until she no longer can go to the games, I guess, uh, uh, then you got, you know, you got to deal with it, and. Right now, the only way to deal with it is is the kids uh, just aren't able, uh, you know, to compete, and people just stay home. And gosh knows who, how many. I don't know, Ryan. What do you think? How many people were actually in the seats last uh, 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 Saturday? Yikes. What do you I think? Mean, Twenty-five thousand. It w- it might have been thirty, but it was no way. It was over fifty. I mean, there was no way. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, the numbers I mean, it's too painful. It was painful, yeah. Like they're I, they must be reporting the numbers differently than what they used to before. Because we used to see, like, I think they would have paid, you know, uh, tickets, but you still would get reports of like thirty eight thousand or something. When you know, in crappy years, 
Uh, it doesn't matter. Like no matter how many people show up, it's like the same number. I, I don't get it. For That's attendance, true. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I've talked to so many people who just say, I can't put myself through that. It's just too hard. Uh, you know, and you can turn the television off, but if you're down there, you know, for the game, it just, there's just not enough positive coming out of being there. The tailgates, I guess, you know, have, have, have changed the way they do it. They're more commercial and, uh, and not as free and, you know, as they used to be free and loose and friendly kind of a family atmosphere. It's more commercial. And then you've got the, you know, and, uh, and legitimately so, uh, you know, the whole question of do you really need a DJ with, uh, you know, the band that Art Bartner built up over 50 years, uh, that kind of thing. I mean, there are just so many things that are probably off-putting. And some of it's not their fault. You know, you got to, you know, you're in L.A., you got the, the COVID, uh, you know, restrictions and things like that. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just you, know, you, you can't go on the path that they've been on the last three years uh, and expect, uh, any better results you just you just got to grin and bear it and finally you know, they did something about it we'll see where that where that ends ends up but to ask kids that you know have had a, a model for how they do things for years i mean some of these you know guys that's the only thing they know uh you know since high school and uh it's probably unfair to ask them to you know kind of turn things around you know, at this point, uh, there's probably no way you can do that. Uh, and, you know, somebody needed to turn it around from above, and they did not do that. And this is the result. Dan Weber, back on the show. Woo-hoo! Yes. We definitely had a lot of requests, like, when are you going to have Dan on? When are you going to have Dan on? And, you know, Dan, Dan moved home. He was, you know, doing his own thing. It was great to get you back doing the columns and stuff this year. So, and, uh, you know, I, I messaged you about coming on the show and you're like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm very excited <laughs> about it. So thanks again, Dad. For I, I will on. say this. There is a difference. Okay. So I'm going to a, a, a big high school playoff game tomorrow night. And I realize it's going to be 27. And I, <laughs> that number sticks in my head because the coldest USC game I've ever covered was a uh, uh, Friday. It was, I don't know it was a Friday night or Saturday. Friday, Friday night game at uh, at Boulder, and it was 27. Uh-huh. And that was like USC put that in the notes. Like this is the coldest, uh, you know, temperature at a, a kickoff ever for a USC game. And I'm thinking that's going to be my, uh, you know, I've got like a month of, uh, of playoffs. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. Here and <laughs> and I'm thinking. Yeah, 27. Okay. Well, been there, done that. At least I won't be at mile high, uh, so the uh, I'll be able to breathe a little better. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, I've been to, been at 27 before and uh, wasn't crazy about it. Well. All right, Dan. Well, thank you again uh, for coming on. It was great to catch up and chat with you. I know, Keely, yeah. you were very giddy about it. So. <laughs> yeah, I was giddy this whole pod if you couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much, Dan. Yeah, that was great. No, I re- thanks for asking. It was fun. I still watch them, uh, you know, every every weekend, and uh, you do get a different perspective when you're watching three or four or five games at once, or, or eight or nine games all day, and and it's it's probably not a, a great perspective uh, when you you know you're switching back and forth. Uh, but uh, hopefully, uh, better days are ahead. 
Yeah. It's still USC. It's still USC, and and in so many ways, there's there's nothing like USC. It's that's what's frustrating. I think is the uh, ability. So many schools can't or programs can't be USC, no matter what they do, no matter how many things they do right. But USC can. USC can be really special, and uh, and they just gotta you know make that decision that you're gonna be special. You're gonna be USC again, yeah. and. We'll see. They got a chance, but we will see. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again. Um, you can check out his work uh, every Sunday night. We'll post a column from Dan throughout the season. So, thanks again, uh, Dan Weber. Thanks to Keely Yor, and, and, thanks- and let me thank everybody oh. for you know reading it and responding to it. Uh, uh, I, I've been very uh, uh, positively. I mean, I didn't know, and I told you Ryan this the other day. I, I didn't realize there were that many people who still cared. <laughs> and when you read, when you see what people were, you know, responding and how they're responding, there's still an awful lot of people who really care, really care. I mean, you know, there's a chance by now that everybody would kind of have drifted off. But uh, there are a lot of people that really care. And, and that's pretty cool. I'm yeah. glad to see that. All right. Well, Dan, we're glad to see you here on the show again and hopefully get to have you on. Somewhere down the road uh, for Keely Yor and Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks to all the listeners out there. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.